turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Russia claims Ukraine tried to assassinate Vladimir Putin with a drone attack. This is a report coming from Russian state media. And so take it with as many salt shakers as you like. Matt Gates, AOC, partnering on a bill banning lawmakers in Congress from trading stock. The American people are largely behind them in this bid to ban the trading of individual stocks. The Fed raises rates again by another quarter point. It doesn't look like we're going to be down to 2% until the end of next year. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Thursday, May 4th. I'm Mike Scott. Russia released a video on Wednesday which seems to show two drones exploding over the Kremlin, accusing Ukraine of trying to assassinate President Vladimir Putin. That's an accusation that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky adamantly denies. Ukrainian President Zelensky is denying Russia's claims that he tried to assassinate President Putin in a drone strike overnight. Two small drones exploded and crashed into the dome of the Kremlin early this morning, an embarrassing lapse in security for the Russian version of the White House. Russia immediately accused Ukraine of trying to assassinate President Putin, who was not at the Kremlin at the time of the attack. Zelensky was quick to deny responsibility. U.S. intelligence agencies are still trying to determine exactly what happened, Retired Colonel Cedric Layton believes that Russia may have had prior knowledge of the alleged attack. So the anti-aircraft weaponry that the Kremlin has deployed around it for protection purposes, uh, you know, was clearly engaged. And it seemed, you know, to my eyes, it seems as if they knew exactly what they were shooting at and when that target would be arriving uh, in their area. Layton explains that it's unlikely that Ukraine is actually behind the attack. Unlikely from, for that very reason, because the Russians have radar uh, installations all along this area right here. And the place where they would most likely uh, be launching something like this from would be about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and given that fact, that's a little bit longer than 300 miles. It would take a lot of fuel. It would take loitering time that some of these drones have. Now, it is possible that Ukraine could have mounted this operation from inside Russia using special operations forces. Uh, that is not beyond the realm of possibility, but it is unlikely, uh, even though they have mounted attacks allegedly against uh, the areas in the south, against air bases, uh, things like that. So these are areas that can be targeted, but it's very difficult to do that. And as President Zelensky said, uh, they don't target the leadership. Uh, Russia does. Russia will use this as an excuse to probably do something like that. Mm. But it is highly unlikely that it came from Ukraine. According to some military experts, if Russia's reports of the drone attack are to be believed, it would show an embarrassing failure of Moscow's air defense. Jim Garrity, a senior political correspondent at National Review, joined the Salem Radio Network and says 
that sense the source of the reporting actually comes from Russian state media, people should be skeptical. This is a report coming from Russian state media. And so take it with as many salt shakers as you like. Uh, They are claiming that there were two drones that uh, attempted to attack the uh, the president, president's residence inside the Kremlin. Uh, people are saying that there's been footage of smoke near the Kremlin or above the Kremlin or something like that. Uh, Russia claims this was a Ukrainian attempt to assassinate Vladimir Putin, and they are outraged. This is a terrorist act, and they reserve the right to respond in any way possible. Garrity believes that if the reports are true, while it's possible that Ukraine could be responsible, it's highly unlikely. Almost immediately, you had people raising the question of whether this was, I don't want to sound like Ron Paul here, but, you know, a false flag operation. Uh, I think it's very fair to ask if you're Zelensky or you're the Ukrainian forces, would you like to kill Putin? Sure. Would you? But if if you assassinate Putin in this way, does that make the Russian people say, okay, this this Ukrainian war has been a disaster. Let's stop. Or does it outrage them? Or does that make them say, how dare you attack, you know, this symbol of the country? Screw you guys. We're going to go dump, you know, double our efforts and we're going to, you know, pound the hell out of Ukraine. Um, Doesn't make a lot of strategic sense on that. But we have seen the Ukrainians attempt to strike targets in Russia in the past. Uh, So I suppose it's not unthinkable. The National Review correspondent states that Americans should be wary and wait until many more facts come out before jumping to any conclusions. There was no way to independently verify what Russian state media was saying. So I think so, and I hope so. Whether that actually affects people's thinking and their reaction to this and their thoughts about this, um, look, there are some people who either jump to conclusions or they don't get any exercise at all. And so that's, you know, people who want to say, ah, this is the Ukrainian, there's probably some people who will be like, yeah, they almost got him. And they're probably going to be like, oh my God, Zelensky is such a uh, reckless maniac. He's going to start World War III. This is why we should stop helping the Ukrainians. This new news comes as the U.S. is sending even more money to Ukraine to the tune of $300 million. It is the 37th package of Pentagon military stocks to go to Ukraine since the war began in February of 2022. And it brings to the total U.S. military aid going to Ukraine to about $36 billion. On Wednesday, the man who entered a medical building in midtown Atlanta and killed one person while injuring four others in a shooting is now in custody. Dion Patterson was captured by authorities after the 24-year-old led police on an hours-long manhunt following the shooting. Atlanta's Mayor Andre Dickens says after a long search, they were able to apprehend the suspect. Law enforcement have taken the suspect into custody. Currently, there is no known motive for the shooting. However, Patterson does have a prior criminal record, which includes violation of the Georgia Controlled Substances Act, failing to appear in court, of which he was on probation. With all the talk of polarization in our politics, some political experts are applauding the bipartisan effort of Republican Representative Matt Gates of Florida and progressive Democrat Representative 
Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York and their efforts to curb one of the methods that congressional members used to enrich themselves. The unlikely pair admitted that they agree on little, but they've been able to sponsor a bill that would put a lifetime ban on members of Congress owning and trading individual stocks. Unlikely lawmakers now uniting in a push to ban stock trading in Congress. Democratic Congresswoman AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Congressman Matt Gates are among the sponsors of a bill that would prevent lawmakers and their spouses from trading and owning stocks. The bill reasons that members of Congress have access to classified information, as well as knowledge of bills and amendments that may pass, in addition to their oversight of regulatory bodies and subpoena power, all of which is not public information. And that information can be used to influence their decisions on where to put their money in the stock market. Gates and Cortez argue that if members of Congress use that insider information to enrich themselves, they are abusing their power. Niall Stanage is a White House columnist for The Hill and says it's encouraging to see firebrands like Gates and AOC, who are on opposite ends of the political spectrum, working together on a bill like this. We talk all the time about how uh, partisan and polarized politics has become. Here you have a figure from the hard left and a figure from the hard right coming together. And importantly, Adrian, there's polling that suggests that the American people are largely behind them in this bid to ban the trading of individual stocks by members of Congress. So yes, it's a positive sign. The Hills columnist details what's inside the bill. So it's important to stress it relates to the trading of individual stocks. Members of Congress could still buy mutual funds or tracker funds or treasury bonds, but they would have 90 days if this law were passed to divest themselves of individual stocks. And if they broke this law, they would potentially be subject to a $50,000 fine, a much stiffer penalty than anything that exists in this sort of area at the moment. Stanage also took time to give his thoughts on AOC calling for a California senator to step down. The pressure is clearly intensifying and AOC joining those calls, that's the biggest name on the Democratic side so far. Having said that, the people who want her to retire don't really have any means to lever her out. They're dependent on her agreeing to go. So far, there's no sign that she's willing to do that. Political experts agree that Congressmen and women should make sacrifices like banning their ability to trade individual stocks in order to do their job better. The president's refusal to negotiate with Republicans over the debt ceiling is not going over well with most Americans. Daybreak Insider's Tasha Stevens is taking a look at the most recent poll numbers. 74% of likely voters believe the president should agree to negotiate over the debt ceiling, which would likely involve spending cuts. A new Echelon Insights poll also found that 58% of those who lean Democrat believe the president should get to the negotiating table. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said Tuesday that the only practical path to avoid default is for Congress to suspend the debt limit without conditions. Tasha Stevens reporting. The White House has announced an agreement with Mexican officials to deal with the humanitarian crisis at the U.S. southern border 
which has been exacerbated by the looming end of Title 42. For the first time, the Biden administration says Mexico will accept some non-Mexican migrants who were expelled from the U.S. after entering the country illegally. Buses carrying migrants from Texas arrived in New York City today, part of a controversial policy by Republican Texas Governor Greg Abbott to transport migrants to Democrat-run cities. If we don't want children and families sleeping in the street, we want to be able to take care of people. But the federal government is the one that has the resources to be able to do this. They've noticed in the last two weeks a noticeable surge, uh, and you can see it behind me here. It's women, children, and and men, too. It's families that are coming over here. Uh, and one of the uh, – Father Flores was telling us here who runs the shelter – and after December, he was maybe seeing 50 to 60, you know, people. It, it dwindled down a little bit. But now the numbers are, are picking up, and they're picking up significantly. And this is before Title 42 goes away. So he tells me that there's only so much that they can do. They're bracing for a big influx uh, of migrants coming in here. Mexican officials confirm they will continue to accept migrants from at least four countries who are sent by the U.S. back across the border. The Federal Reserve moved its management of the post-pandemic economic recovery into a new phase on Wednesday. With what may be the last in an historic series of interest rate hikes and heightened attention to credit and other economic risks. We will make that determination meeting by meeting based on the totality of incoming data and their implications for the outlook for economic activity and inflation. And we are prepared to do more if greater monetary policy restraint is warranted. The U.S. Central Bank raised its benchmark overnight interest rate by a quarter of a percentage point to 5.25%, as expected by financial markets, but in doing so, dropped from its policy statement language saying it anticipates further rate increases would be needed. A decision on a pause was not made today. Uh, you will have noticed that uh, in the, in the uh, statement from March, we had a sentence that said the committee anticipates that some additional policy firming may be appropriate. That sentence is, is not in, in the statement anymore. We took that out, and instead we're saying that in determining the extent to which additional policy firming may be appropriate to return inflation at 2 percent over time, the committee will take into account certain factors. So we, that's, a, that's a meaningful change that we, we're no longer saying that we anticipate And uh, so we'll be driven by incoming data, meeting by meeting, and, uh, you know, we'll approach that question at the June meeting. The change doesn't foreclose the central bank's policy-setting committee from hiking rates again when it meets in June. I think the markets still are mispricing and a little too optimistic, especially the bond market, on what the Fed's going to do. I mean, he was very, very clear that they're going to look at their dual mandate, and they'll be data-dependent. But let's remember what their dual mandate is, and one of them is inflation. Um, And inflation is still too high. He repeatedly said he wants to get that inflation down to the 2% target. And if you look at estimates, it doesn't look like we're going to be down to 2% until the end of next year. So looking at the Fed being able to cut rates this year, I think is still very optimistic. I think the bond market can reprice to reflect that, that he's going to, they're going to stay on, that they're going to pause and they might have to eventually maybe go again. The shift in the Fed's approach was reflected in U.S. interest rate futures, which showed broad expectations for no hikes at either of the central bank's next two 
policy meetings. The former top executives of two failed San Francisco banks will testify before Congress this month. Daybreak Insider's Jeremy House has more on this story developing on Capitol Hill. Lawmakers are digging into what caused a series of collapses at mid-sized financial institutions. The Senate Banking Committee indicated it will hold a hearing May 16th with Silicon Valley Bank's former CEO, Signature Bank's former chairman and co-founder, as well as Signature Bank's former president. The committee will also hold two other hearings this month on the collapse of the banks. A legendary American sprinter who won three Olympic gold medals is dead at the young age of 32. We get more on this story from Daybreak Insider Mike Hempen. USA Track and Field and Icon Management have announced the death of Tori Bowie, but no cause has been given. Bowie turned in an electric performance at the 2016 Rio Olympics, winning silver in the 100 meters and bronze in the 200. She then ran the anchor leg on a 4x100 relay team that won the gold medal. A year later, she won the 100 meters at the 2017 World Championships. She also helped the 4x100 team to a gold medal. USA Track and Field CEO Max Siegel says Bowie's impact on the sport is immeasurable. I'm Mike Hempen. And finally, a man from China identified as Mr. Zhang left an online review that no hotel manager would want to see. The discovery of a dead body under a bed in one of their rooms. According to reports, Mr. Zhang went to stay at a popular influencer hotel in Tibet, which is known for its colorful backdrops for social media pictures. When he checked into his room, he was greeted with a powerful stench. Thinking it was just his feet, he tried to ignore it. However, the truth of it was much worse than he could ever imagine. Someone checked into a hotel in Tibet. And the man thought, ooh, geez, I think my feet smell. My feet really smell. Uh-huh. Realized, though, that smell wasn't coming from his feet. It was from the dead body that was under the bed he oh, was sleeping on. Oh, my God. The... You've got problems if you think your feet smell like a dead body. <laughs> yeah, the man initially thought the strong smell coming from the bed at the Guzong Shuana Inn in Tibet was caused by his feet. Yeah. He finally fell asleep for a couple of hours. Oh, God. <laughs> Slept on a dead man. He then <laughs> called the front desk to complain of the stench. Well, when they finally realized, yeah, fine, they're going to move him to a different room because of his smelly feet. <laughs> that's when they discovered the body under the bed. Investigators took his statement, collected DNA, but told him not to be concerned because they had already arrested someone on a train headed to a different city. After he left the hotel, Mr. Zhang left a review, which has since gone viral. As of today, Mr. Zhang says he has trouble sleeping due to having nightmares of the body under his hotel bed. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. 
Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at daybreakinsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at srnnews.com and townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Thank you.